Welcome everyone to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season, whether that's one part, two parts, Three parts, we don't know, but this week we're reviewing episode 86, Retrospective. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened in the Attack on Titan anime, so you've been warned. We are here at the second to last episode of Attack on Titan, the final season, part two, and we don't know what's going to happen after the final, final episode, but there's certainly going to be more to the story. There's no way this is wrapping up in one more episode. Yeah, I don't know whether to feel like, holy shit, there's only one episode of Attack on Titan left, or if I should just wait and see what happens after the Anime Japan event this coming Saturday, where I think they're having an Attack on Titan panel that'll hopefully clear up what direction the series is going in once that final episode, quote-unquote final episode, airs. Yes, so as a reminder... There will be a one-week gap between this episode 86 and the final episode of the season, episode 87. Um, the final episode 87 will air one week late on April 3rd. I think it's technically April 4th in Japan, but April 3rd probably for um, a lot of other places in the world. So our final review episode for part two of the final season will go live April 6th. So just wanted to remind everybody that there will be a one-week gap. We will not be posting anything on March 30th, so look forward to April 6th. But before we get into things, we thought it'd be fun to do another roll call, a country shout out. I don't know what we call this, but once in a while, we like to take a look at our audience statistics and see what countries we are most listened to in. That was bad grammar, but you get the idea. <laughs> it's going to be a rumbling roll call yeah. around the world. So we figured we would shout out the top 10 countries that listen to us recently or i don't know i don't know how these st these statistics work something like that but yeah we like to do this once in a while to um you know give some uh, give some credit shout out those people around the world that listen to us because it's it still blows our minds that there are people outside of the u.s that listen to the podcast yeah it's kind of cool you could say that our strictly family is going global so i'm excited to hear who these top 10 countries are I feel like some of them are still the same. Some of the countries are still um, in this top 10 list, but we do have a couple of new ones. So I will go in reverse order. At number 10, we have Sweden. Special shout out to Hernstrom from our Discord, yeah. who I believe is from Sweden. So shout out to you. That's pretty fucking cool. Number nine, we have Singapore. Number eight, Indonesia. Number seven, the Philippines is still in our top oh, 10, which, <laughs> which is very special to us because we're both Filipino. Carl's full Filipino and I'm half Filipino. At number six, we have Israel, which is also really cool because one of our other members in our Discord is from Israel. So shout out to Otaku Kakashir. Yes, uh, I know both Hernstrom and Otaku Kakashir have been pretty active in our Attack on Titan Discord chat. Um, so nice to see that their countries are both represented on this top 10 list. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Um, at number, f I lost my place, five? 
five. Yes. Five is Australia. Number four is the UK. Number three is Canada. Number two is India. And no surprise, number one is the US because we are based here in the US. So shout out to everyone in the top 10 list. Shout out to everyone, I guess, around the world uh, who listens to us because we're still we're still in awe that people want to listen to us even outside of our region. Yeah, I wish I could say thank you in all of the languages of these top 10 countries. Um, <laughs> I don't think I know all of those uh, languages, or like, at least how to say thank you in those languages, but just a huge show of gratitude from us here for your support. Yes, thank you so much. And for all of you listening out there, if you are a Spotify listener or really wherever you listen, um, follow us. You know, if, if you are listening to us on Spotify, there is a bell icon that they recently added where, you know, if you hit that, you can be notified when new episodes are released, kind of like YouTube does. And then if you haven't already, if you'd be so kind as to leave us a rating, our goal is to reach 100 ratings for Strictly Anime on Spotify. I think all of those are right in the same section. You can follow us, you can hit the bell icon, and you can leave us a rating right at the top of our Spotify page on the iOS or Android app. And as we mentioned earlier, we do have a Discord that is active with Attack on Titan chatter, um, especially with our specific Attack on Titan channel. And we've had plenty of users that have contributed their analyses, their thoughts, their memes um, into our Discord. And we don't just have Attack on Titan channels. We have other ones as well to discuss anime, manga, collectibles, conventions not safe for work stuff <laughs> um, and more in relation to our aot episodes we also post some of the things that we mention during our episodes in the aot channel um, so that you can reference it there so if you are interested definitely check out our discord uh, the invite is in our show notes and it's a great community great family over there and it's always nice to connect with people and welcome newcomers as well for sure and let's talk about the tech on titan because there was a lot of buzz after this episode even uh pretty much right off the bat like as soon as the episode dropped there was a lot of talk in our discord around what the hell happened and uh yeah this was this was pretty intense i don't think this was as intense as like is two brothers the one episode that we thought was absolutely amazing with like the crazy choreography and all the fighting up until uh gabby shoots aaron's head Yes. Okay. I sometimes get those titles mixed up because everyone knows I'm bad with names and titles. Um, but I feel like this one wasn't quite that hype in terms of action, but it was definitely one of the more hype ones that we've had recently. Yeah, it was a pretty much a return to action. Uh, I would say it, it was a tumultuous conclusion to this battle that's been raging at the docks. I guess it does end up a success for the LD Avengers. But I think it doesn't feel as triumphant as it should because of the the toll that it's taken um, on that team and what they had to sacrifice, which was time, the dominance of the Titans on their team, and I guess morale in general. So even though this was a, a victorious outcome, I feel like the group is in no better shape to face Aaron and the, and the rumbling than they were like back at the campfire episode where they're all giving each other death stares. Uh, but yeah, it was a nice, I guess, quote unquote, final dose 
of AOT action and ODM goodness. Um, I, I, I would say it kind of returns to its the classic roots, the action scenes that we saw in the Days of Witch studio. And I think this episode probably delivers like the best visuals that we've seen thus far in part two. Yeah, I agree. Best fight choreography that we've gotten um, in recent episodes. I... I really think Mappa was doing work here. They were trying to remind everyone who only watches their Attack on Titan stuff that, hey, they, they know what they're doing in terms of animation. They are truly a powerhouse. Um, I think this episode, like, there's a lot of emotion attached to it. it. It hit hard, not as hard as the last episode because that one, I think, was more focused on the emotion and kind of the, the trials that the scouts were going through. But this episode hit just as hard because of losing Magath and Shaddis and I guess for Flock gang out there um, you're probably mm. upset about Flock although I'm not convinced he's dead I still subscribe to the general rule that if you don't see somebody die on screen there's a good chance they're still alive and knowing Flock that motherfucker is probably gonna find a way to survive yeah, he's persistent as fuck. Persistent as flock, I guess. So, yeah, even though I, I relished in his demise this episode, I have a, a, I have a tiny feeling that he is clinging to the ship <laughs> and just riding along until he gets another moment to strike. Because he only got shot in the shoulder, right? Or the yes. arm? Yeah, in the arm, and that's what threw off his aim with the thunder spear. He's still alive. I'm, I'm, I'm betting my money right now. He is still alive, mm -hmm. but we shall see. But what were your thoughts? I guess, um, overall, with like where this episode is taking us, with like the next. I, I, I don't want to say the next episode is the final episode. It's like the final episode of the season. But like, we're, we're definitely gonna get more, right? Unless this next episode, eighty-seven, is like three hours long i feel like there's going to be more to this story but either way how do you feel this episode kind of left us in the lead up to episode 87 the end of the season it feels like it's it's concluding this ld avengers uh, and the battle of the port arc and now throwing us into the the final arc for the series uh whether or not they're going to squeeze that all in episode 87 or if it's going to be formatted differently like i think we have reached the end the end game for this series yeah i'm i'm wondering you know the scouts are leaving paradise for the second time is this going to be the last time will they mm -hmm. come back i don't know um but with the amount of content that's left just gauging some of the things that manga readers have mentioned about like how much we can expect left in this story i i i wonder if if like this is it if we're never gonna see parodies again if they'll come back in the end um i don't know it's just weird that we're actually watching them leave the island because we had the time skip the four-year time skip where they were already on the island. Like, we know they left, but we didn't get to see any of that unfold. They were just in Marley, and then they came back. Here, we're actually watching them leave the island, like, officially for the first time. Yeah. It's funny, because there was that time skip of four years, but um, presently with these episodes, the time is, like, really of the essence. And I think Hanj mentions that there's only, like, they have less than four days to stop the rumbling. So that was wild to me. I had no idea that's how quickly the rumbling was happening or destroying other countries until she said that. That really put things into perspective. 
and I was kind of taken back by that. I was just surprised she was able to calculate that, but it I guess it's Hanj, like she's always done her Titan research, so I think she has that sort of scientific analytical background. She's the human calculator. <laughs> I don't know. But let's jump into the synopsis so we can go through everything that happened in this episode. Yes, so anchors away, ladies and gents, as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Attack on Titan, the final season, episode 86, Retrospective. As the game of battle boats between the LD Avengers and the Jaeger Bums rages on, Hizuru's Ministry of Mechanics presents Metal Gear Hanj and Commander, or should I now say General Maggot, with an inconvenient truth. In order for the boat with wings to soar, they will need a half day's worth of foreplay to get it up. At Kiyomi Homi's suggestion, the two de facto commanders agreed to abscond with the boat to a Hizuru hideout along the Marlian coastline, though it will be too late to stop Operation Dualshock Grumbling from blasting the fuck out of Liberio in the time traveled. Annie and Deathwish Reiner protect the band of boaters en route to the Parody's pontoon despite sustaining titanic levels of damage. At the expense of another boating joke, Levi's squad assists the Titan tag team in whittling down the Jaegerbum roster to the tune of Slayer's Raining Blood, while Peak the Putrid brings the low-risen Levi and the other non-combatants to the docks. In his last feeble attempt at god-awful glory, Waka Flockboy the Fuckboy tries to blow the parody's pontoon sky high with a thunder spear, but Gung-Ho Gabby finally gets a sniper shot that was worth the kill in sending the Flockboy to his watery grave, or so we assume. Falco Punch plugs in his game controller to join the Super Smash Boaters brawl with his Jaw Titan slash Birdman cosplay, but is put out of commission by General Maggot before he can put a pounding on Peak the Putrid, provocative pun intended. He instructs the pontoon to go full steam ahead without him, and holds the line with a surprise cameo by our mystery saboteur, Potato Sergeant, as they and Hero with the other remaining battleship at the docks to stop the Jaeger bums from ever bumming around again. Our penultimate episode ends as Metal Gear Hanj informs an Annie in anguish that Liberio is most likely no Morio. The female titan clings to Mikasa of all people for moral support, asking if she will remain steadfast in stopping Eren Jaeger monster and the rumbling, or if she will Shinzo-wo her Sasagio for her Eren Jaeger mister. Either way, these are going to be the fucking longest two weeks of my anime life. I don't know why this question just came up in my head, but where's Historia? I think she's still on parodies, just rocking, Pregnant in, her, as fuck. rocking in her chair <laughs> in the countryside, wondering what the fuck she's going to do. I Yeah, I like just remembered that she was a thing and that we haven't seen her since part one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or she did appear when Aaron had the Zoom call. Yeah, that I do remember. I guess just like having a significant part in the show that hasn't happened since part one. I think like her getting pregnant was meant to kind of take her out of the, the whole plan, right? Yeah, that is true. Well, maybe we'll get some, some updates on her at some point because I don't know where she is. But uh, starting off this episode, we get a little bit of like a flashback, a recap to the previous episode. And then um, we get that really nice close-up of Samuel. Is it, was it Samuel? His face all shot up with like the holes right in his face. It was nice. It was great. 
Yeah, along those lines, and we're <laughs> we're gonna talk about this, I'm sure. Just the amount of blood, carnage, and gore in this episode. I feel they dialed it up to eleven, and like this was the first instance of that where you s- usually they'll like blot out any sort of graphic material uh, with this show, with like uh like just black shadows. But you could see like the the entry point for those bullets. I it's love kind of freaky. I love that Mappa is more like dark and gory and kind of realistic. I think we talked about talked about this before. Realistic with the way they portray Attack on Titan, especially the fight scenes. Wit Studio was more um, how do I like majestic and grand in the way they portrayed fight scenes. Still just as bloody, but it didn't have this this intensity behind it. Didn't have this darkness behind it. Um, and again, it, it kind of lacked some elements of realism. Here, I feel like Mappa has all of that but on the flip side i would say that they are missing the majesty and the grandness and just the mm-hmm. overall hype behind behind the fight scenes i would say overall wit studio definitely has the the superior fight scenes in attack on titan and i'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the actual fight scene in this episode but i just wanted to call that out that i do appreciate I mean, I don't like literally appreciate seeing the guy's face all shot up, but that's also kind of just like an element of realism where I'm like, damn, this is a really intense situation that they're in. And maybe it's just shocking that we are so desensitized to seeing these things yeah, on television. Yeah, we're just television. like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like with this being the second to last or penultimate episode, it feels like Mop was like, you know what, fuck it. Uh, we don't have much time left on this show, so we're going to make this the bloody splatter fest that it should be one thing that i found frustrating in this fight that of course panned out in the scouts favor but i think you also mentioned this the first time we were watching the episode why didn't the jaegerists use the damn thunder spears until like halfway through the fight like just shoot them you were flying around with them in your hands but none of you shot them until halfway through the fight is it because of plot Mm. armor because they would have wrecked annie and (laughs) reiner too quickly (laughs) yeah i don't know if it's just because they are inexperienced compared to like Levi squad who have been scouts for years. And I feel like most of these Jaegerists are just cadets. So they're not as familiar with the equipment or just like learning how to use it. That's my explanation for why they're so inept. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think between that and plot armor, it it all, it all makes sense as to why Mm -hmm. it unfolded the way that it did. Um, but then we get that moment where Magath and Hanj have that, ho- they receive that horrible news from the Azumabito that they need half a day to get the plane up and running and 30, would... minute, and 30 minutes to get the boat running so that they could leave the island. So I think originally the mechanics were saying normally they would need a day to get the boat or the flying boat up and running. But with the right equipment, they could do that in half a day, which is why later on, Kiyomi directs them to that town, Odiha, where they have yeah. like a, a facility that can service the boat. Uh, but <laughs> it was Magath who told them to get to the boat in 15 minutes. Get the boat up and running in 15. Or, or get, yeah, the, get the ship um which I think was supposed to take half an hour. See, this is, yeah, it's confusing <laughs> because they call the airplane the boat mm-hmm. and then they call the ship the ship. But I'm yeah. like, it's, I know the boat, it's a, it's a plane, right? Isn't it an airplane? 
yeah but they, they call it they call it a flying boat because maybe oh. like in this world they haven't established a term for a plane okay well i guess in our terminology the airplane needed to be it could be done in half a day the ship needed to be up and running in 15 even though they said they needed 30 yes okay <laughs> that makes sense one thing i found interesting though that maggot mentioned um because he's saying you know we, we don't have half a day we can barely hold out our titans only last a few hours i was like wait really because I, I know there's the whole concept of the cart titan being able to stay in cart titan form for like months on end but i kind of thought about that and i was like have we ever seen in this show someone in titan form like having to stop being a titan just because they hit their time limit like they were physically unable usually it's because they need to get out of the titan or like they get wrecked so bad that they have to like abandon the titan but i don't recall anyone just like endurance testing this and seeing how long they can remain in Titan form before they like just they can't do it anymore. Well, keep in mind, Marley has had uh, a hold on these uh, warrior Titan powers for however long. Very so true. They, they probably know the ins and outs of how these Titans work, and that's why they know for sure that the Cart Titan can last for I think what was it months on end in, yeah. in her form, like two, three months, something like that. Yeah, so maybe it's like the like Cinderella rules where like if the clock strikes at midnight, <laughs> they have to get out of their Titan form. Yeah, or it's like when you're holding your breath underwater, like you just physically can't do it. You got to come up out of the out of the water, hit the surface. I'm guessing that's what it's like. They physically are unable to maintain that form anymore, so they abandon ship and leave the Titan body. Not only that, don't forget that Aaron removed the hardening ability on the Titans. So I think that means that Annie and Reiner's female and armor titan aren't in their prime forms, which I think is why they're... Did he remove it permanently or just in that instance? Because the armor titan had its armor. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember when Aaron removed it, there was like a titan that just looked like a bunch of meat. And I thought that that was Falco's titan because it didn't look like the armored until I watched further into the episode and Gabby confirmed that was the armored titan without its armor on. So I think my understanding, and I could be wrong, my interpretation was that he just removed the hardening from that one instance, and that's why the armor titan is able to re-up all that armor. Well, weren't there points during the show where Annie was able to use that hardening ability to like fend off certain attacks against her skin? A hundred percent, which is why I was confused as to why she didn't do it here. She kept holding the back of her neck. I think it's because there... There is no hardening ability. But then how did the armor titan have armor? Maybe it has its own armor that it can manifest. But can't she also manifest her own crystals? Well, not because the crystals are a part of the hardening ability. But so are our arm, the armor titan's armor. That's why he was like a naked flesh bag when he got killed um, after the rumbling happened. Maybe you have to see an image of... Reiner fighting in the armor titan form in this episode compared to other episodes so because I also was trying to pay attention to that and seeing a difference and it seems like it was more fleshy compared to his previous armored titan forms mm, I could see that okay well then we get further into the conversation and Hanj then drops that little tidbit about the rumbling being able to flatten a continent in like four days and I didn't realize it would be that quick. And yeah, I, how many? Now I'm wondering how many days has it, has it been since the rumbling happened? 
because we watched the rumbling happen over several episodes as all of those colossal titans were leaving or wall titans were leaving and it felt long but it was probably only like what a day or two it was one it was like one overnight right i'm thinking back because the rumbling happened it was sunset then we had that uh, i remember that nighttime scene where jean's like in he's having like a ptsd moment yeah um then hanj comes in and tells them of the plan and so there's the next day and that's where they put the plan in motion so i think that right now they would be two or three days removed from the rumbling okay so if they could traverse all of paradise and like the sea basically well they've already traversed paradise because they've reached the port that's what I'm saying. So yeah. in the in that like two ish days, they traversed. They came, they went from the center of Paradis to the water, and then across the water. And assumably, Aaron is like on land on the other side by now, right? Yeah, because I think was it two episodes or maybe last episode, Hans saw the steam coming from the rumbling titans going through the sea, and so you would think that's like the 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 last in line of those wall titans. So. And they're all just walking on yeah. the floor of the so sea. So that would be what? What's the innermost wall? Maria? I think the, yeah. the wall titans of Maria. And so, I don't know, <laughs> calculate the circumference of each wall. Uh, the the wall titans from like Rosina, the outermost wall, are probably way up ahead. So they've probably entered Marleyan territory. I wonder if anyone's actually done the math. What is that subreddit? are they did the math Mm -hmm. (laughs) i wonder if that popped up there um but then john has a flashback to him and connie drinking with some dude that context was when or that came around when hanj was talking about the fact that liberio probably was demolished by this point and so is that john and connie drinking with like an Eldian in liberio when they were kind of post up there waiting for aaron's signal or what what was that? Have we seen that before? I don't think so. I've th- I've tried reading through some Twitter uh, feeds and trying to get hints of like what this image was. I th- I'm not so sure. Uh, one of our like manga friends would have to confirm. I think that storyline was expanded upon a little bit more in the manga with whoever connie and john were drinking with so maybe it was like a nod to the manga readers yeah but like something that we don't we wouldn't understand the full context of as anime only people right but i think the idea is like like in their infiltration mission of liberio they they met some people there that they uh like they established relations with and became friends with and i think it's it's shocking for them to realize that those people will be long gone if Aaron carries on with the rumbling through Liberio. And really quick, I want to correct myself. The innermost wall is Cena, then there's Wall Rose, and then the outermost is Wall Maria. So I had it flipped. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. I would never have remembered which wall comes first and which one is last. Uh, but with that that quick flashback, I was like, who the fuck is this man that they're drinking with? But also, where's Sasha? Was Sasha in that flashback? Were they not? Was she not drinking with them? No, it was just the two two of them, uh, Connie and John, and that man with the fez hat. 
I'm sure there's more context for the manga readers, but as like an anime only person, I kind of wish Sasha was there. It just feels weird that like cause the three of them were always together and we know how important Sasha was to Connie and John. So I'm kind of surprised that she wasn't in that moment in that flashback. Well, if the two of them are drinking with this guy, I'm sure Sasha was out at another booth grabbing up all the meats. She <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, so then moving on with the episode, they, the Hizuru, no, the Azumabito, they're it, from the, Hizuru. <laughs> the clan is called the Azumabito and the country that they are from is called Hizuru. Okay. So, so the, like Hizuru is like, like Japan. Okay. So the, so then the Azumabito run for their lives towards the ship and the whole time as they're, you know, running there's gunfire and Titans and whatnot, I think in their minds it must be a fucking crazy experience especially for them who i believe have never really seen titans up close to then be like protected by titans like what mm. a wild experience like imagine seeing a t-rex for the first time not that that will ever happen because there's extinct <laughs> but like imagine <laughs> well, there's the right? one in like mu- the, in the museums <laughs> <laughs> like just imagine that like there's a live t-rex i don't know why this this is the example i'm going with but i started it so i'm gonna finish it there's a t-rex right and like you think oh shit this thing's gonna kill me but someone tamed this t-rex and can and can command it and the person tells it to i don't know like look like go up in your face that you could pet it that's a wild experience right Imagine like, you know, mm-hmm. there's a Titan and normally Titans are just going to kill people absentmindedly. But here, Magath tells Reiner to protect them and like his big ass hand comes over and like as an Azumabito who's never seen this before, that's got to be so fucking wild. Yeah, especially because the world has told legends about these Titans and so they have this image in their minds. I think I'm just more surprised as we've seen through these past two or three episodes that all of these different factions are coming together under one cause and fighting off the Jaegerists in order to, to save the world. Do we trust the Azumabito? Because I know that in part one, when they arrived in Paradise, they kind of felt like Lady Ki- Kiyomi mm-hmm. kind of felt a little slimy because they're very money hungry. They're money driven. And I feel like after that initial meeting, the scouts felt kind of hesitant about them do we feel like they're going to be honest in this situation or do we feel like they're still going to do something potentially underhanded i i'm not sure i would say since pretty much doomsday is upon the whole world that money is their last thought and i'm sure they're concerned for their home country assuming that huser was also part of that same continent with marley that it's their survival instincts are kicking in rather than their greedy instincts. Yeah, I would hope so too, especially because Mikasa is there. And I'm sure a big thing for them is protecting her and making mm-hmm. sure that they're on her good side. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't feel like there's any hints that the Azumabito are going to do something underhanded, but you never know. It's Isayama and the Azumabito were kind of slimy when we first met them. And, you know, I, that's, that's why I still feel like Flock's going to come back. You never know, right? Yeah, now that I think about it, they are heading to a Hizuru facility, and I I don't know if they plan on using Mikasa as a bargaining chip for them to service the flying boat. Oh, like like we'll we'll get this up and running, but you have to give us Mikasa so she can like continue our royal bloodline or whatever. 
But then Hanja's going to come up and be like, well, you have to fix this this airplane or we can't stop the rumbling and you all die. <laughs> no. I think that's the biggest <laughs> card at play here. Um, but I could see that. I could see them trying to, because they've been wanting to get her back for a while, haven't they? Mm-hmm. We'll see. That's interesting. Um, and I know I hate on Flock a lot, but I have to give him some credit here. Um, maybe because it is his demise. Maybe because it's not. I I do feel like he is stupid on some level, but I also have to admit he's pretty damn aware. Like he's pretty perceptive because multiple times now he's been able to call the plan that the scouts have. Even if he wasn't sure if that was the case, he's been able to pretty much catch on to what they've been doing. And here is another example of that where he caught, caught on to the fact that they were taking the plane to be serviced on the mainland, right? Like no one, I don't think anyone told him that, right? No, yeah, he thought that up on his own. So that's, that is that is pretty damn perceptive. And in the last episode, he's like, why would Connie and Armin take horses to, you know, to this heading this direction when a train is far faster? He's suspicious of them and rightfully so. So yeah, there there's some intelligence there with Flock. I will give him credit for that. That is a bit surprising and pretty impressive on his part. But he's still a brainwashed little fuck. <laughs> he is still Flock. <laughs> but you know what? Like I know we have a, a user on the Discord, uh, Classy Ulysses, who who calls him King Flock and calls Flock one of his favorite characters. So I'll also give him credit because remembering him from season three, he was the biggest coward out there. Very true. And now it's almost like Reiner. If you like Reiner's journey, were... but backwards, <laughs> like Reiner, <laughs> Reiner in reverse, but in the good way. <laughs> yeah, because I they both kind of started off as like these uh, these characters with low self esteem, where like Reiner like eventually like had to just create his own personality to become the brave warrior that was required of him, but I guess with Flock, he actually was able to develop into this again this brainwashed little fuck who who is now <laughs> leading the charge for the Jaegerists and coming up with all their strategies so i'll commend him on that front but again i'm just glad to see him meet his quote-unquote demise i feel i'm going to use quote-unquote a lot in this episode because there's just so many unknowns even with the quote-unquote final episode but just seeing him jo- uh, dive into the, or like fall into the sea that was satisfying for me. Yeah, and funny enough, it was Gabby that did that. Uh, well, we'll get to that part um, in a little bit because we're kind of jumping around here. But I do want to talk about the fact that Gabby did did something in this episode. But before that, um, you know, as Reiner and Annie are trying to hold things down, Connie is on fucking fire. He comes out of mm-hmm. nowhere and like saves Mikasa and Annie from some of the Jaegerists, and it was incredible incredibly hype i think this is when the hype started to really amp up in the episode it was like he came out and wrecked those fucking guys and then mikasa joins him and i was like finally we get to see some connie and mikasa action not like the two of them making out or something i don't mean it in that way i mean the two of them raging going hard and using odm gear to kill everyone because they're scouts and they're really good at what they do and you have to remember that only mere minutes ago, Connie was wrestling with the fact that he had to kill his friends, but now he's kind of thrown that on the window and just beca- becomes a one-man army. I, I feel like it's probably 
because of yes that exact point that he just killed one of his own friends and now he's trying to like blow off steam because he's probably just raging on the inside mm -hmm. but he's also probably really pissed at the Jaegerus for brainwashing his friends yeah um although a lot of those Jaegerus are friends of his i'm sure in some to some extent and it was nice seeing Mikasa in action in this moment because it reminded us that she is an Ackerman and just as deadly as Levi. She may never be at Levi's level, but she can get pretty damn close. And I know like she had kind of two sequences in this episode, but I guess since we're talking about Mikasa, there was the extended action sequence um, later on, which going through social media, people were saying that scene was like an anime original like they just dedicated a whole couple minutes of her kicking ass uh just for anime watchers really i mm -hmm. love that great decision on mappa's part because i feel like she has not gotten nearly enough action in the final season it's almost been a bit disappointing like levi's definitely had a lot of action but mikasa has not yet she is who she is. She's an Ackerman. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was a little bit of fan service, but it was a, definitely a way to show that she is living up to her Ackerman name. And I just want to talk about the the, the one scene where she, she beheaded a Jaegerist, then used their decapitated body as a shield, then tacked that body against another Jaegerist, then skewered the both of them, then grilled them to a crisp with the Thunder Spears, <laughs> And then she bathes in their blood all without batting a fucking eye. Like, that was such a, that's a savage moment. And it was just great to watch. It was like, you got to give all the props to my day one waifu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic scene. And I guess while we're on the topic, let's talk about that fight scene and the choreography and animation. I think this was Mappa once again flexing. They're probably like, yeah, we, we've got CGI Titans, right? But don't forget, we're Mappa. Mm -hmm. We do fight scenes better than any other anime studio. I know that's up for, obviously that's debatable, but they are one of the best when it comes to um, fight scenes and choreography. And this episode was a great showcase of that. I will say though, I got mad Jujutsu Kaisen vibes from the way they animated this fight scene. Yeah. Like it just, it mm -hmm. felt like something that came out of Jujutsu Kaisen rather than Attack on Titan. And I think that's because when I think fight scenes in Attack on Titan, I don't think about MAPPA and the final season. I think about seasons one through three and with studio. That's what I think about when I hear Attack on Titan fight scenes. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about with studio having this majesty and like this grace and just this overall epicness that MAPPA has not been able to capture or emulate. But this episode was was good on, in a different way. Like the animation, the fight scenes, were certainly different than Wit Studio, but they weren't like it wasn't bad by any means. It was fucking awesome. It was really, really hype. Yeah, I would say it was still not as like like you said, as clean as seeing Wit Studios ODM sequences. Because I feel like with Wit Studio, whenever they're like f flying with a camera through the air, you always like the focus is always like the character and you don't notice like the background, how much CG is going into these panning shots. Uh, it was a little more apparent with, especially when Flock has his kind of time to shine when he's running and flying across the rooftop. Um, it was like, you could tell that the rooftop was heavily CGI. Uh, but like, I just remember seeing the, 
the shots for when Connie's going through the air and just how clean he looked. And here with Mikasa as she's slaughtering these Jaegerists. The fact that she used that beheaded body as a shield, it just... God, that was amazing. No chill. No chill with her, man. Don't don't go up against her. You will not win. (laughs) I do like... In the midst of all this fighting, there's the one girl who's freaking out and she's like, she sees Mikasa and she's screaming, right? Because why wouldn't you scream if Mikasa's about mm-hmm. to come kill you? You know you're going to die. But then John gives uh, or hits her with a headshot or something like that. And I can just imagine in that moment, he's probably like, don't touch my future wife. Don't you mm-hmm. fucking touch her. Because <laughs> I just think back to that that fantasy, that vision that he had in a previous episode where Mikasa was his wife, and he was living the good life, looking out on his like balcony or terrace or whatever you call it. You know, it was, it was nice. So he's got to protect his his waifu. <laughs> Last thing I want to talk about with um, Mikasa's action sequence, <laughs> it's it's so again savage that she detonates the thunder spear where those two bodies are, even though like they're already dead, right? Like, why do you need to do that? Uh, I know it was like a triple kill for the one yeah. guy. He got, like you said, he got beheaded and then he got stabbed and he got blown <laughs> up too. Uh, but it makes for this really cinematic scene where the thunder spears explode and I'm sure their body parts are flying all over the port and it's just raining blood. I get raining blood by Slayer. If you know that song, that's all I thought about as I watched all of these fight sequences get put together. Um, there's a shot where it's. The blood is showering down upon her head, and it reminded me of a similar shot in it's the second opening from Attack on Titan season one, where we also see a character. I think it it's Armin, uh, and he's also he's in his scout gear and his scout cape, but he's drenched in blood that's also raining down from the sky. So I I wonder if this was like a sort of an homage to to that scene um yeah second op which would be flugel der freiheit or wings of freedom i like how you pronounce that thanks that was very nice (laughs) hopefully my german's on point uh but just just very epic imagery in this moment you know what else was epic what Falco's jaw tightening. Oh, <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about that. Because in the midst of all of this, Falco transforms. And uh, so I believe it was Jeff from Otaku Host Club. He posted in our Attack on Titan Discord channel uh, an image that compares all four of the jaw titans that we've seen so far. And um, it's in there, but we'll, we'll drop another copy of it when we post the episodes that you've uh, got it on hand. Um, but it shows Marcel's jaw titan mm-hmm. and then uh porcos and then emirs and then falcos and it's kind of interesting to see the different variations of the jaw titan depending on who's wielding it but what i found equally as interesting is that marcel and porcos jaw titans actually look very similar they have sort of that stone mask looking thing and then kind of like a blonde mane around their face and i enjoy this detail a lot because they're brothers they're related by blood so it would make sense that their titans have some variation but still look similar because they are relatives versus emir and falco who look completely different from those two well emir doesn't have any of those like hard shell features that the other jaw titans have which is odd 
But. She just has some really gnarly teeth. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was a really cool image. So thanks, Jeff, for sharing that. Because I, I, it is kind of interesting to see how Isayama uh, creates these titans based on who's actually wielding them and how they look different with those variations. And of course, Falco's has to look like a bird. It right? does. <laughs> Falco's looks like a falcon. And you know what? I, I love it. I, I think it, it works because it, it makes sense. And this kind of bolsters my theory that we might see a flying titan at some point. Because <laughs> it looks like it's not fur on his arms. It looks like feathers. And then his his hands are talons, right? Yeah, he's a fucking bird. <laughs> he is a fucking bird. Like, he just is a straight-up falcon. They, they didn't try to beat around the bush with this one. It's just weird that you can see his actual mouth inside the beak. That is like, weird. Yeah, it's almost like he's wearing the, those um, plague doctor masks. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because um, I would figure that that mask, it's, or like that, hard shell itself is the jaw but you can see like he has his own mouth inside it so so then which part do you think he uses to actually bite down his face mouth or his bird mask mouth maybe it's the bird mask mouth that helps <laughs> grind down whatever he's <laughs> eating so that his actual mouth can consume it i don't know yeah it was weird when it like made it the titan feel like kind of human like there's like a person under there almost. Yeah. It was yeah. It's, it's definitely the strangest Titan variation that we've seen so far. But it's Falco. He's mm -hmm. a Titan. He did it. <laughs> and I think you you showed me something that I will never be able to unsee now oh, with yeah. Falco's Titan. If you want to share <laughs> what that is and and make everyone else unable to unsee it. Yeah. It's so in my normal Attack on Titan out of context. Uh, tweets. I, I put a picture of SpongeBob when he's doing that like mocking bird pose because you know it, it's it's Falco, it's a bird. But when I first saw Falco appear in his Jaw Titan form, I kept thinking of the TV show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia because the the three main male characters, uh, Mac, Dennis, and Charlie, yeah, they sign up for. Was it like a wrestling match or something? Yeah. And they they come up with a, a theme for their team. And I think the theme is called like Birds of War. <laughs> <laughs> and so their wrestling outfits are them wearing, I think, like a an eagle's head. And they have feathers on their arms. And so we can share a picture of this in the Discord. But it, it's so, like, now I can't, uh, I can't unpicture always sunny with uh falco's jaw titan form it's it's spot on i i wouldn't be surprised because isayama likes to put memes and stuff in in his his manga i wouldn't be surprised if this was the inspiration for falco's fucking titan because it looks just like him and the best part <laughs> is in it's always sunny they like drew on abs really poorly <laughs> right. on their stomachs but of course you know falco's titan is ripped as fuck naturally but yeah we'll we'll share a, a picture of that in the discord because it's it's spot on and once you see it you will not be able to unsee it so you've been warned yeah. about that one <laughs> stomp clap stomp 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 clap. clap yeah that's right <laughs> and that's not the only memeable thing about uh, falco's jaw titan 
because uh, one of our friends pointed this out. There's a a very interesting scene between the Jaw Titan and uh, Peak's Cart Titan, where to preface this with like an actual anal- analysis, um, seeing Falco enter his Jaw Titan form for the first time, it brought back memories and was very reminiscent of when Aaron activated his Attack Titan form. And we see the first appearance of his Titan in season one. And we just saw how out of control it used to be. That's kind of like what we're seeing with Falco here. Because at once he's like done devouring the Jaegerists, uh, he apprehends uh, Peek in her cart Titan form and pins her down. And it looks like he's trying to, to eat her out of her uh, Titan form. Uh, and then Magath instructs Peek to to contain Falco like hold him down so that he can run over and get uh get Falco out of there yeah so the <laughs> you have this aerial shot of the cart titan holding onto the jaw titan but it it looks like a <laughs> like a not safe for work moment <laughs> it looks like the jaw titan and the cart titan are having sex right in the middle of this battlefield yeah it's so funny it's like one of those moments where if you pause if you pause it at just the right second, you end up with a really interesting frame. Like in the last episode where we uh, shared the the frame with Cursed Fal- uh, cursed Flock, where he just looked oh, awful. Right. <laughs> I think it was the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, with Cursed Flock. Um, we'll do the same here. If you want to see a still image of what appears to be the Jaw Titan and the Card Titan um, doing something very... Uh, very sexual, then yeah, feel free to, to look at that. <laughs> look at it to your heart's content because this is also something I cannot unsee now. Yeah, people are saying that they were all hot and bothered by a particular scene in this past weekend's episode of My Dress Up Darling. Oh, I don't know. This might, oh be a, this might be a close contender as well. Uh, it's also funny because after that shot, it cuts to Gabby on on the ship, right? And she's calling out for Falco's Falco's name, and she has like the shocked face. Obviously, she's concerned about Falco, but the way I interpreted it as well is, it's like seeing them having Titan sex. It's like <laughs> they were supposed to remain pure for each other <laughs> when they. I know you could take that clip out of context, and it would probably be very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But you bring up a good point. Something I want to talk about. And that is uh, Falco having basically his first transformation into the Jaw Titan. And Peak warns him the first transformation never goes well. And we, we kind of learned this back in season one with Aaron, that you really can't control the first transformation. And so I was just kind of wondering, I know they were limited on time, but I'm sure they, they thought that at some point they would need to use the Jaw Titan, right? Mm-hmm. And they were hanging out in the forest and kind of just making their way through, you know, whatever area of parodies that they were in towards the port. Why didn't they take a couple of moments to, like, have Falco practice a few transformations? Why didn't they prepare for this moment? I think they were in the best situation, minus the time crunch, because they had several other Titan wielders with them. So that if Falco goes off the rails, which he does, like most people... Um, with their first transformation, they would be able to control him and contain him. You know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. I think they had probably one of the best situations possible for having someone test their their Titan powers a few times to get used to it and then be able to control it. I think one, it's because it. I think 
Titans transforming, like people can kind of hear that and see that from a mile away, right? You have like the the, the thunder and then the, the flash of light. So it might have drawn attention to their location if you have a, like a, a random Titan forming. Um, like Peak is kind of exempt from this because she's already in her cart Titan form. Um, so people wouldn't, or the Jaegerus wouldn't know where she was unless she was like just sticking her big fat head somewhere. <laughs> uh, I think two, I think the the LD Avengers wanted to keep the kids out of the fight, right? True. Very true. All very, very good points. But I just feel like this is this is a pretty important thing that they probably should have carved some time out for. As much as you want to keep the kids out of the fight, this is a perfect example where you just need to rely on the Jaw Titan. Falco was able to turn the tides of this fight and, and secure a successful escape for everybody because he took that risk and turned into the Jaw Titan. So as noble and as understandable as it is to want to keep the kids out of the fight, I feel like it would still be important for Falco to at least practice and do a first couple of transformations so that he can at least control it as a failsafe or as a backup plan. And again, you had... The fucking, I mean, Colossal probably wouldn't have been helpful, but you have the um, Armored Titan, you have the Female Titan, you have the Cart Titan, all available as a safeguard to keep him in check because he's probably going to go wild as he did in this episode. I just think, like, from a practical standpoint, if I were in that situation, I would be like, Falco, just try it out a few times. Let's just do a, a few practice runs so that if we need to use the Jaw Titan you at least can control it and know what the fuck is going on. You know what I mean? Like, I just, it was kind of a, an interesting decision for them not to do that. I mean, yeah, they could have included him, like, in a contingency plan rather than him going out on his own to, to transform him to the Jaw Titan. But also keep in mind that they they were really pressed for time, too. Like, they wouldn't have had time for Falco to, to, to train and get accustomed to his powers. True, because he's passed out now for who knows how long yeah that's that's fair yeah well he did it he transformed and he's a bird and he soared high into the sky and saved the day <laughs> so maybe if there is a fuck up with the, the flying boat like if um he's ends up being the snarky bastards that they always were <laughs> maybe they can use falco's jaw titan to fly instead <laughs> right? yes and you just made me think of something why don't they just use the cart titan to swim across the fucking sea didn't she already do that when they infiltrated parodies she brought zeke over mm, so why wait. the fuck is she not taking everybody with her across the sea and just oh, swimming right. <laughs> wait what the fuck am i wrong about this did they like Maybe they had a boat instead, and then, like, as they approached Paradise, they dropped her off, and she swam the rest of the way. But I thought that she swam the whole way. Am mm. I crazy? I'm kind of wondering, like, why didn't she just take everybody on her back like a turtle or something? Maybe there's a, a weight limit. And also, she would have to tow the the flying boat, too. And I don't know if that would be Well, I'm much. saying in, in place of the flying boat. If they don't have that and they don't want to risk all of this shit, just get on Peak's back and let her swim across the sea. <laughs> mm, but then they wouldn't be able to observe the rumbling properly. True. And I'm sure it's way riskier to be on Peak's back with like no, like at least when she brought Zeke over, she had that container where I yeah. think like he could ride in it. 
But yeah, I would say as another plan B, in addition to Falco being plan B for the Titans, you could have had Peak swim some people over to the mainland. Yeah, so again, maybe we'll see a flying Titan and maybe that will be Falco. He will soar. What What is the, the saying from the office? Soar with the eagle's nest? Yeah, my heart <laughs> soars with, with the, the eagle's yeah. nest. <laughs> That's Falco's motto now. Falco's going to fly like an eagle. Space Jam reference. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to the end of the episode where the title retrospective really comes into play, there's one more shot that I think we need to talk about. And that's that fucking dump truck of an ass that they gave Hodge <laughs> in one of the frames for some fucking reason. Yeah, the, the junk in her trunk, which threw me off guard when I first saw. I was like, why is she bending like that? I was like, is she hiding something under her cloak? I fully expected her to pull something out, like some crazy gadget or something. And then it just never, they, it never came back in the episode. So I was like, what was that frame? Yeah, or I don't know if she just injured her back too, even though she was still <laughs> fighting. But I think it's because the the updated ODM gear, uh, the devices that are holding the blades were going up against the back of the cape. And she was bent over talking to, what was it, like John or whatever. Um, so it, I think they were trying to realistically make the cape sit above those uh, containers. I do, yeah, I do appreciate the realism there. Like they were staying true to like how a, a cape would flow and fall and sit on something like that that's protruding from her back. But it just looks so weird. Like I feel like you probably could have just redrawn that and have the cape land like in front of the ODM gear instead because it really kind of took me out of it. I was, I was invested in this fight and that frame came up and I was like, what the fuck was that? And it was like there and gone before I could even realize what was going on. Yeah, or maybe it was like a Hans fan service moment. I don't know. <laughs> Dump truck ass. I think you shared a TikTok, didn't you? Um, you sent me a TikTok or some shit that had a pretty a pretty fun time with that frame. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we'll share a link to that TikTok in the yeah, Discord Yeah, because it's well. also like a... It ties in with the Batman, oh, too. Yeah, that stupid <laughs> fucking song. <laughs> so couple more things I wanted to mention before we get to what I believe is the episode's quote-unquote retrospective moment. Uh, did you notice the eye catch at the, in the middle of the episode, I think right after Falco turns into the Jaw Titan, the information that it was saying? Uh, no, because forever in my time watching Attack on Titan, I can never read all of that text that fast because an eye catch is like 10 seconds between the two sets of it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was so fast. I, I please tell me because I, I did not catch that. No, yeah. Uh, I like normally these eye catches. They're, they're called the currently publicly available information. It just has insight into like the lore of of the Attack on Titan universe, whether it be about the gear that the characters are using in an episode or the history of Eldia and of the Titans. But it was interesting here because the information presented was actually more philosophical rather than informational. And it feels like it it's a culmination of the increasingly complex narrative that Attack on Titan has become. And so we can share an image of the eye catch for everyone to, to read on the Discord, but the translation says, when Titans were the greatest threat, Titans were the enemy. When countries were the greatest threat, 
countries were the enemy. For as long as people hold firm to different beliefs, there will always be an enemy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's very different than I think what I've seen from the eye catches, which again, is not much because they're so yeah. fast. <laughs> so yeah, this one is like one of those moral, ethical pieces of information rather than something that's analytical and quantitative. Do you think they did that because they ran out of lore to put in the eye catches or because <laughs> this played into what's going on right now? Like I said, I think for this being the penultimate episode, it's like I think we we know enough about the world of Attack on Titan. And so maybe it is like they ran, ran out of ideas, but now it's just become this thing where you get like war isn't so black and white like it was at the beginning of this series it, it, again it's become more complicated although you have like this united front and so i wanted to linger on that last sentence for as long as people hold firm to different beliefs there will always be an enemy but what if there was only one enemy um then they only have one belief i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking specifically about what aaron's doing yeah then they all have to come together to fight that one enemy. Right. That's ah. what's happening here, which is bolstering my other theory that Aaron is purposely putting the target on his back in order to unite all of these different people who have different beliefs about Eldia or the rest of the world in order for them to continue forward with a world that has broken the cycle of violence that Eldia, Paradis, and, and humanity has seen up until this point. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I know we, we haven't asked the question lately, but generally generally we like to ask the question as we learn more about what's going on in Attack on Titan, if you know this particular episode or recent events have changed our feelings on whether or not like we're Team Aaron and, and if we still believe in what he's doing. And I feel like even up till this point, I still believe in him that he has a plan that is the right thing by everybody to the best of his ability um i don't know has, has yours changed at all it doesn't sound like it has no i yeah. am sticking with aaron all the way uh my heart is unwavering i am shinzo-oing my sasagio for him um <laughs> uh, even though yeah he's he's committing evil atrocities there has to be a reason why one more thing uh, in terms of the music, after the eye catch, we, we see the Jaw Titan wrecking havoc, and then we see um, Mikasa's anime-only action sequence and everything else leading up to when the boat escapes. Uh, I noted that we have the return of the epic orchestral piece Ashes on the Fire, again by the series or season four composer Kota Yamamoto. I believe we haven't heard this song played in this much capacity since the Aaron and Zeke team-up arc at the beginning of part two um, when Aaron fights Reiner one more time. I just love that they reused it in this moment because I think it's a soundtrack that has permeated, permeated some of the most monumental scenes of this final season. So I thought it was just refreshing to hear it one more time here near the end of the series 
And going back to uh, Mikasa's thing, it's funny because there's like a musical, the musical timing of when she blows up those two bodies with the thunder spears and it's raining blood. Like the blood dissipates and you just see her, like the camera just lingers on her head as she's looking down. And then she glances and looks towards the camera. (laughs) It kind of syncs up with the music. (laughs) It's like uh, um, the music video for Kiss from a Rose with uh, Batman. Oh, my God. That (laughs) is... That is a classic. <laughs> Where like Batman will look up at the camera at a key moment during the song. And the fucking face they used is just great. Hers is hers is better yes, than what showed is. up in Kiss by Rose. <laughs> but yes, that is a that is a fucking classic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just get the musician in me just loves hearing this song. Um I think it's one of the m- more brilliant musical pieces that have come out of this final season. Uh, that alongside Footsteps of Doom, which was from the episode where the rumbling was initiated. And there's actually one more piece of music uh, at the very end of this episode that I wanted to touch upon. And that leads us into... The Retrospective. The reason this whole episode is titled Retrospective was the very end where Magath and Shadis die. <laughs> they are dead. <laughs> I know we're not sure about Falco being dead, but I'm pretty sure Magath and Shadows are dead now. Yes. <laughs> if they weren't, I would be quite surprised because that ship explosion was magnificent. <laughs> not magnificent, <laughs> but like super, super explosive. It was explodey. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, Shadis got his revenge on the fucking Jaegerus and went out a hero with Magath. And they, Shadis saves everyone by blowing up the train. And then he saves Magath, who in turn saves everyone again by blowing up the ship. But the exchange between the two of them, I think, is is probably the most touching part of this entire episode. Uh, Magath asks why Shadis sided with them, them being the, the scouts. And Shadis reveals that he's the one who was watching the scouts escape with the supplies when Annie was with them. So we finally know who it was. He happened to be wearing a cadet jacket, probably because he didn't have any other clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't the guy with the glasses, but it, it makes sense that it was Shadis. But it was a nice throw off. I, I do appreciate that they had him wearing a cadet jacket because they showed just enough in that episode for you to see what was going on and then kind of lead to our theories about who was watching in the window. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a little disappointed, and maybe this will come up later, but I am a little disappointed that... You know, Shadis in an earlier episode told some of the Jaegerists fall back in line with the the Jaegerists, but be ready to rise up when the time comes. Like when when there's something that you when there's a time, you know, that you have to make a big choice, that's your time to shine. I thought that was gonna be the situation. Um, I kind of want to see that come to fruition to for Shadis's words to resonate that strongly with the cadets who betrayed him earlier on in the season for them to to stand up based on the motivation and the empowerment that he gave them. I don't know. Maybe we'll still get that. Maybe if Flock's still alive, he's still going to do some shit with the Jaegerists and we'll have that moment. Uh, but I was kind of hoping that this would be that moment for him. I'm just thinking back to that conversation that he had with those uh, those cadets saying that he, I think he said something along the lines of like, like he's an old fossil, like someone mm-hmm. of like the, of, not the olden times, but 
uh, what's the word? He's a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> of the old traditions and customs. He's old school. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's he's old school. And I think what he and Magath have realized in this moment, like they're they're two mentors, right? They've come to the peace of knowing that their respective cadets that they've overseen have kind of made them both like proud fathers, right? Yeah. And so I think it's Shadis, like he wanted to be the one to put a thorn in the Jaegerist side rather than sacrificing the the cadets to, to do this on his behalf. Because I think the point like with him seeing the, the scouts that he trained and growing up fighting for a noble cause, I think he also wants them to live out the lives under a, like a, a new society where they are like they can truly be free. And that's kind of the same thing that Magath was had wished for at the end by going against his Marlian ideologies and wishing for the warrior candidates that he also trained for them to actually live the livelihoods that Marley had robbed of them. And so I think that's why Magath and Chadis wanted to take up the burden of holding down the line against the Jaegerists so that the rest of the LD Avengers could move forward and, and save the world. Uh, so <laughs> to bring this in with like a Star Wars reference, uh, in The Last Jedi, spoiler alert, Yoda appears for a hot second, uh, and he says this line, we are what they grow beyond. And I think that's what uh, Magath and Shadis embody in this, what I would consider, this is probably my favorite scene out of the episode. Yeah, I, I echo all of that. And I think here, like with, with Shadis, um, these are because he says he was moved when he saw the scouts taking action, taking the supplies, reuniting with Annie. And for him, like the to your point, these are the cadets that he trained into scouts. And after dealing with the dumbass Jaegerists who have no spines and betrayed him based on Flock's orders, he probably felt proud of these these scouts who have done so much for parodies more than anyone else. I mean, the, the OG scouts have done so much for these people and he gave them the, the tools and the knowledge and the abilities to do so. And I feel like there's kind of very different, like there's a lot of parallels between the retrospectives for Magath and Chattis, but there's also a lot of differences as well. I feel like Magath's retrospective was more rooted in regret saying that mm. he was not listening to his conscience and instead following orders as a soldier. But as Peek said, he's a general now, kind of signaling that he's taking on even more responsibility. And really, this is kind of the ultimate responsibility, sacrificing your life for the greater good. But then you have um, Shadis's retrospective, which feels different because for him, again, it's it's like more being proud of the scouts and what they're doing in this moment and, and Chad is being able to allow them, open up that path for them to keep moving forward by taking out the train, saving Magath so that he could do what he needs to do on the ship. And then Magath, again, kind of feeling a little bit of regret, regret at the way he treated the Eldian candidates or Marlian candidates, um, mm -hmm. and kind of to your point, robbing them of the life that they should have had. So yeah, it's like, it's interesting parallels and interesting differences all at the same time. But at the end of the day, they should just get married already. 
him and, <laughs> and everyone on twitter was joking about like <laughs> oh. they're they're such a nice couple like from this moment like they're all like they should just date they should just, just get together they they are best bros for life that's now. what i thought too but then you go on twitter and suddenly all your your thoughts you are scrambled shippers. what would you call that mattis mattis yeah shaggith shaggith you know i like that one shaggith yeah it's gonna end up on that shipping wiki right next to uh john and marco and then connie and Armin. carmen and now uh, the jaw titan and the cart titan. <laughs> oh, God, the jart. <laughs> you didn't you share or one of our friends shared that stupid tweet that said your name and had a I picture share. of the two of them. <laughs> I, I share that in the Discord. Oh my God, earlier. so funny. Because yeah, they ask for each other's names in, in their final moments, um, and just to talk about that scene, to talk about that scene seriously, uh, when they ask for e- each other's names, they aren't acknowledging each other as Marlian. Or Eldian, they're just acknowledging each other as two human beings that are willing to sacrifice their lives for the greater good of all people, and so it's this really nice form of unconditional respect that makes them worthy of recognition and praise. Although I feel like they'll, they'll probably be like the unsung heroes of this moment in them being able to hold the line in order to allow the rest of the all the avengers to continue on to find aaron and the rumbling yeah i i really enjoyed the scene it's i i didn't expect to be sad about magath dying i knew i'd be sad when potato sergeant chattis died because he's potato sergeant he stole the show season one when he yelled at sasha when she was <laughs> eating that potato and then she offered him half but it was less than half and he was like what the fuck who is this girl <laughs> and it, he just yeah he stole my heart at that point I'm sad he's gone, but yeah, surprisingly, I'm I'm sad that Magnus is gone. He's had a really nice redemption arc, short but but really nice. Yeah, very similar to uh, Nicolo's. Uh, so, even though we haven't seen these characters as much as everyone else, like seeing their deaths was was very emotional. Um, I know the <laughs> the one kind of comedic part is they're talking to each other, and you see the window on the door. Um, to the hallway outside the the ammunition room they're in, and you see one of the Jaegerists run by, and then they come back and look look at what uh, Shadis and Magath are doing. I just thought it was like kind of like cartoony sort of timing, uh, where the Jaegerists realize that their shit is about to get rocked. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of redemption, I almost skipped over this, even though I said we'd we'd revisit it. Gabby shooting Falco. I mean Falco. I keep. Keep saying Falco. No, Flock. <laughs> her shooting Flock in the arm and taking him down. She has another moment of redemption, and I, I have to say, holy shit! Talk about a redemption arc. I feel like Gabby is doing a one eighty. Has she won me over? No, she's getting there. She's getting there, but I still feel like fuck Gabby because you still did a lot of shit. You got to make right, especially to baby Falco. Don't don't do that to best boy Falco. Okay. <laughs> I'm just glad she shot someone that really deserve to be shot yeah for the first time we're <laughs> glad she has a gun in her hands like jesus she's she's shot so many people that she should not have shot and just harmed and yelled at and like berated all these other people who are just trying to be nice to her and finally she's coming around but i'm still not convinced she did a lot of shit that she needs to atone for <laughs> yeah although it was sad like seeing her 
cry out for Magath when the the ship exploded. Although I don't know how they knew that that was them on the ship, but I figure since Magath said that he would defend or be the last line of defense, that that was his ultimate sacrifice. And just one more thing with the Magath Chattis scene before we move on to the post credits. Uh, this is where I wanted to call out the music one more time. Just the solemn cello and piano duet at these two commanders curtain call uh there is no title for this yet since the official soundtrack for part two of the final season hasn't or isn't out yet but i just love that this is all you hear when the ship explodes like there's no sound of the explosion just so you can have the song bear the weight of their sacrifice and leave you kind of in a state of shell shock as you're watching this these events unfold. I just love that the, the song is so simple and it, it actuate, accentuates its like tranquility um, and kind of highlights the peace that these two mentors, these two father figures possess, knowing the parts that they've played in securing this brighter future for the 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 marlian candidates or like four future generations as a whole um it's it's very like a melon a merry very melancholy piece but one that also has a tinge of hope to it too yeah it is weird how just having music and no sound effects even for an intense moment like this changes the way the viewer absorbs what they're seeing on screen so i agree smart choice to just have only that piece of music play and not bombastic crazy explosions on top of it but with their two deaths i have a i just ha- i have a question that popped up since there's only what two three technical deaths in this episode do you think the other characters have too strong of plot armor at this point who died chadis magath and technically flock did he though that's why I'm not that's convinced. why there's like yeah there's an asterisk there <laughs> you bring up plot armor i mean this motherfucker is the master of plot armor <laughs> yeah i i just feel like we we have uh, even though like shadis and magath are our key characters they're not as significant as connie armin annie reiner mikasa uh, levi hanj all those all the, that cast of characters like I feel like the stakes would have been higher if we got a major death out of one of those characters with this battle. Have we had a major death in part two? I mean, the closest to a major death I can think of is Porco. And uh, Colt. 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 Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no offense, Falco, but like your brother was a background character half the time. He was yeah. just there to fuel you as a character. Um you being Falco. But yeah, I feel like the biggest death we've had so far is is Galliard getting eaten by Falco. Right? Am, am I forgetting something? No, yeah. If for part two. For part two, yeah. Yeah, I think that was the, mo- the most major one. Yeah, so I would say there is some decent plot armor here because, I mean, Sasha died in part one. That, that was a major, major death. I feel like Reiner was the closest to death because like he was taking a lot of shots for Annie's female Titan. It looked like half his head was blown off. And so I was wondering, like, is this finally going to be his redemption moment? Although it feels like now the story's going to save him for 
and more poetic death when whenever they encounter if they encounter Aaron and the rumbling. Good. If if Reiner does die, I hope his death is poetic because the poor guy has been through the ringer. <laughs> he's he's seen some shit and he's having a hard time processing it. And I know he just wants to die, but like go out in a more dramatic fashion than something like this. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like there there's a, de- a decent amount of plot armor. I'm okay with it though because we're like not at the end end. At least it doesn't feel like it because I don't know like what happens next. We're at a pivotal point because they've made it off of parodies and now they're chasing the rumbling. But like, I don't know how much more there is really. I've got a general sense. I just feel like I I need these characters to make it a little bit further in the story. And then if some of them go out, they go out big at the end. Yeah. Because these are the, these are like the core characters. Yeah, we've lost some other core characters. Again, Sasha's a great example, but these are the scouts. Like these are the OG characters that we grew up with. I, I want them to have a more dramatic end if they meet an end. Just not John. I really hope John lives. Okay, I, I love John so much. I don't want anything to happen to him. I that's that's all I ask. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like who's expendable at this point, like priority wise. I mean, probably Connie. I yeah. think Connie's expendable, and that's why I was so happy to see him have some action in this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, if I had to pick one person that would be like an okay person for Isai, I'm going to kill off, it'd probably be Connie. The manga readers are probably loving us talking about this right now. They're probably like, you have no idea, mm-hmm. just wait. That's always what they fucking just say. Just wait, just wait. Yeah, just wait, just wait. You have no fucking clue what's coming. Um, don't tell us, manga readers. I, I just let us let us have our and no one spoiled us so far. Thank you so much, manga readers, for for letting us kind of theorize and um, wonder what's going to happen next. We appreciate you guys just sitting back, listening, and probably laughing at our asses because <laughs> we get something real wrong oftentimes with the show. So now on to post credits. Um, Annie has had a very selfish motivation. I, I realize throughout this show, which is basically saving her dad, getting back to her dad. And it just happened to be a mutually beneficial motivation for the scouts. But now her motivation is theoretically gone and she's forced to view view the bigger picture and she apparently can't handle it. Bigger picture being that... She now has to fight. She has to basically fight for everyone else. She can't just say, I'm fighting to get back to my dad. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. in theory, Liberio was probably gone. He's probably dead. So, and she's like, "I'm done. I'm leaving I this have ship. Nothing to live for." <laughs> she, she was like, "I'm gonna get off this fucking ship," and I'm like, and "Can you not what? be selfish? <laughs> like, do what you got to do to save everybody else." I don't know. What's she gonna do? Just swim somewhere else? Yeah. What like, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Where are you gonna go? There's Yagris everywhere. <laughs> or is she just looking for a death wish like Reiner at this point? I also found it ironic that she was the one in this moment crying about not wanting to fight anymore and having a fucking breakdown when she's the one that avoided four years of fighting by being in that crystal. Like this is her first real fight after leaving that crystal. Mm. And I, I'm like. Annie, just take a moment to think about how the rest of them feel. Were you there with all the shit that went down in Marley? No, you were not. Were you there for a lot of the Titan action over the last four years? No, you were not. And, and of course, she had a really rough upbringing. But when you think about what she's had to do versus what Reiner and Berthold had to do, her situation was way easier than what they had to go through. She's not there sitting in a chair, sticking a shotgun in her mouth like a fucking Reiner was from part one of this of season four. Like 
she's she's had it pretty easy. So for her to be the one crying, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Hey, uh, <laughs> when you put it that way, yeah, Annie doesn't have much to cry about compared to the other people on that ship. Uh, but she does bring up an interesting question to Mikasa about what they'll do once they encounter Eren, whether or not Mikasa still has the strength to defy him or if her romantic instincts kick in. <laughs> her romantic, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that is a, a big factor here, although she's not wearing the scarf. Mm-hmm. But then it would be like she's choosing to, or she's making choices of her own free will rather than acting under like the Ackerman curse or whatever you would call it, where they, they swear loyalty to to their their king or whoever they view as their leader. It's kind of like um, when ducks imprint on their mother. Is that what it's called? Mothers imprint on their ducks? Because don't, don't ducks when they're born imprint? Like the first thing that they see, the first person or animal oh, they see, they imprint? Yeah. yeah. I think that's the term. Is that like what we learned on a regular <laughs> show? <laughs> yeah. Or like what you learned in school about like birds and shit. I don't know if it's just ducks, but... Yeah, maybe um, that's how the Ackermans do it. They imprint on the first person they see after their Ackerman powers trigger, mm-hmm. and then they just are loyal to them. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if, like, Mikasa didn't give Annie an answer in that moment. She won't. She's not going to give anybody an answer. She's mm-hmm. going to dodge it left and right. Until she takes action right in front of She already of knows the answer, I feel like. Like, yeah, she's she's grappling with what's right and wrong, but... I feel like inside she knows what she's going to do, which is probably... To kill Aaron. <laughs> I don't... Okay, like, I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like she knows what she's going to do because people keep pressing her about it, you know? Because mm-hmm. they know they can't go up against an Ackerman. And if her instincts kick in and she's going to protect him, they're fucked at that point. Yeah. Or I guess Annie brought up a good point if... Like, if if Annie is the one that is tasked with killing Aaron or if she has to be the one... If Mikasa will just stand by her side, or if she will step in. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. I feel like the only one who could stop Mikasa in her tracks is probably Levi. Oh yeah, that guy's still still healing. Yeah, did he even, even say see... anything this episode? I don't think he did. I don't even see him being transported on the cart, Titan. Well, I'm sure he's on the ship, but he, he was when she popped out of the water. Mm. you couldn't see gabby because she had her like arm up and i think gabby was maybe behind her arm but you could see levi and yelena okay or was it oh wait was it on yankapon and yelena on on the cart titan's back when she popped out of the water to put them on the ship oh i remember seeing like yelena or I, I remember one seeing of the her two. two. Oh yeah i don't know I, we can safely assume that levi's on the ship because why would they just leave him at the port yeah they're like, like you're you're too broken we can't bring you. <laughs> you know, so he's probably just recovering in a room somewhere um yeah i'm kind of sad that we didn't get to see more levi action uh this entire part two even though we still have the one episode left but yeah i forgot that he's also a factor um obviously he has uh bloodlust for killing zeke but um, he can also step in to stop Aaron because that's the only person that Aaron really fears. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's another status we're unsure about is Zeke. Zeke and Historia, I think, are the two question marks now. Because yeah. Annie's out of the crystal. 
We don't need to wonder about Annie anymore. We know what's going on with her. She's crying even though she was hiding away for four years. Yeah, my boy Levi is alive and somewhat well. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel like Zeke's just dangling off of one of Aaron's founding titans. Probably. Role, like his ribs. <laughs> yeah, he, Aaron wouldn't let that, that key go. He's, he's the key to everything. Mm-hmm. Well, then we have the preview, and it showed literally nothing, and Armin told us nothing, and so we get nothing for two weeks. What was Talk Armin about, saying? <laughs> I don't even remember. It was, was nothing like, was informative no, at all. No, it sounded so religious because he's like, it was his will, like Aaron's will. Thy will be done. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and then the image previews, it it's just visuals from, I think, scenes we've seen before where Aaron was talking with... Zeke secretly in Liberio, right? Yeah. So I don't know if this was the team saying we don't want to spoil anything, so we're just going to not show anything, or if they were like, we need time to animate this shit because MAPPA puts a lot of pressure on their animators, so we're going to push this shit a week back to give them extra time, and we're not going to show any preview images. It could go one of two ways. Maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know, but... I, I don't know what to say about the preview because it told us literally nothing. I feel like it was intentional that there were no images from the episode in this preview. I think like it's, it's... They're saving it because it is the quote-unquote final episode. Yeah, and we still don't know if the final episode... I mean, there are so many theories now. It could be a movie. It could be a part three of the season with like another 12, 13 episodes or something. It could be an extended final episode that's like two hours long. And I think if they were to show preview images, people may be able to get a sense of like what content the final episode of part two would cover. So yeah, I could see them intentionally not sharing anything to keep that secret. But hopefully in a week or so, actually less as of when this episode will go live, We'll find out concretely what the fuck is going on with the rest of Attack on Titan so we can just look forward to episode 87 and then know what we're getting into from there. And just the the title itself before we go into final thoughts, it the title for episode 87 is The Dawn of Humanity. Like there's such a sense of like finality to that title. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's interesting like what meaning is there behind the use of the word dawn, right? Rather than like using the fall of humanity, it's the dawn, like dawn, you think of like new beginnings, right? Like what does this entail? I'm just like trying to rationalize things in my head and think through it. Um, Are we gonna see something along the lines of like time being like manipulated again, where like Aaron uses the rumbling in some sense to do like a, 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 a time reset. I'm just theorizing right now, but. I could see the dawn of humanity being everybody coming together, to your point, um, to go up against this common enemy. Mm. As in like, this is a new beginning for the world because instead of being divided, everyone is coming together. And therefore, like the dawn of humanity versus like Eldians and Marlians and Hizuru and whatever the fuck else there is out the there. The Mideast Alliance or Nation <laughs> yeah. or whatever. They're just humans. They're just people all coming together to stop the rumbling. That's, that would be my theory. Uh, I'm not sure. But I do want to call out again, like Armin has been the narrator of the story since the very beginning, right? He's always mm. done the preview narrations. And I feel like that's intentional because, again, it's Isayama. 
do we feel like the very end of the story is actually going to be a look back or like we're going to have a maybe a time skip and Armin is like telling the story like he's carrying on the story or being the historian of everything that yeah (laughs) being like the historian of everything that happened because he was there since day one i mean he is one of aaron's two best friends Mm, that's interesting i never thought about like yeah forget or like remembering that armin's narrator like what role does that play because they could have had aaron be the narrator i think it's smart that they didn't because can you imagine aaron trying to narrate shit now when he's very much removed from what's going on <laughs> that would be angry all the time yeah that would be very interesting like you don't see him but then suddenly he's narrating what's happening or the preview for the next episode and mikasa i think would be weird because she doesn't generally talk a lot she's mm-hmm. a pretty pretty uh, she's a standard kurere she doesn't converse that often so I feel like it makes sense that it's Armin, but I feel like there's a bigger reason behind why it's Armin. So who knows? Maybe we'll get some insight into that with the finale. I don't know. And maybe I'm just reading into this too much, but you know, it, it usually says what Jikai, right? Is that the word? Like next time, yeah. Yeah, and then it's a the the title of the episode. It's interesting. Like obviously, you can't say uh, the final episode, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, that just makes me think is this really going to be a finale to the series sort of like a, a feature length finale where it's like two hours or so and if it's even possible to cram that much material into a single episode because I don't know how long or how many chapters in the manga this final arc um, encompasses uh, or if we're going to get that announcement at Anime Japan this weekend that they are coming out with a movie or maybe an extension of part two, like part two, part two, part two, part two. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, this will be a very interesting two weeks as Attack on Titan starts to quote unquote wind down. I'd like to see uh, someone put together a counter of how many times I've said quote unquote in this episode. <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts for episode 86 retrospective so how many the falco and the splintered soldiers out of 10 would you give this episode i would give it an 8.5 out of 10 it was fun the hype is back there's action especially after having several talking episodes not that i mind the talking episodes but it's a very different vibe um i loved seeing falco's falcon his his falcon punch everything bird like (laughs) i can make all the the bird jokes that I, I could ever joins want. The fight. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's cool seeing his his Titan because I've been wondering about that. Um, it was sad seeing or saying goodbye to Magath and Shadis. It was really upsetting seeing Connie rage so hard because as cool as that was, we all know why he was doing that. And same for Mikasa. Yeah, it was just like a mixed bag of emotions. Like I was hype, but very sad all at the same time, given what was going on. But I feel like it still wasn't on that same hype level as two brothers mm-hmm. um that was a a masterpiece of an episode um but still really enjoyed this one so i feel like it was a solid eight and a half what about you yeah i'd also give it an eight and a half i think mappa definitely pulled out all the stops in this penultimate episode with the animation the action sequences uh the reveal of falco's jaw titan of course i have to give one more shout out to my day one waifu mikasa for her brutal savagery and I just realized that my favorite husbando and waifu in the show are both Ackermans. Oh, so, <laughs> there you go. 
Um, and overall, just seeing the, the path of destruction that these LD Avengers have like paved forward only to try and put in, put a stop to an even larger path of destruction that awaits them with uh, with Aaron and his rumbling crusade. It really starts to make you wonder if these, here we go, last time, quote-unquote, justified bouts of violence and these sacrifices will be worth it for these characters in the end. And to that point, R.I.P., of course, Magath and Shadis, they were the real ones this episode. And with this possibly being the second to last episode of Attack on Titan, I think it just makes me have my my own retrospective, my own moment of retrospective in that over the span of these, what, like 10 or so years, every death, every battle, every decision, and every revelation has led to this moment with the conclusion of, we've called this like an anime epic that will be talked about for years to come. And I guess regardless of whether or not it will properly come to an end in this final episode for part two, I just, I cannot fucking wait. So. Yeah. I keep like preparing for this all to be officially done, but we're going to get more content. We're getting something big. Again, whether it's a movie, whether it's a part three, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be, but at least we, can breathe a bit knowing that this isn't the finite end. Yes, we're nearing the end, but we have a little bit left in Attack on Titan. We have more content to look forward to. But we wait with bated breath. Yes, we do. It's going to be the worst bated breath I've ever (laughs) taken. So as a reminder, one last time, there will not be an Attack on Titan special episode here at Strictly Anime on March 30th. Um, a week from today because of the the one week skip with Attack on Titan's final episode 87. So we will be back with our next and last for now Attack on Titan special episode on April 6th. So look forward to that. And that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday and when new Attack on Titan episodes are released every Wednesday, except for next week, the 30th. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageyo. Shinzo wo sasageyo.